Hey guys, it's CMY. We're back for, I think, episode eight. Um, you know, we're starting to get a couple of these in now, so we're starting to lose track a bit. I'm here with Christian and Yanil. I'm Mark. Um, today we're going to cover a couple topics that we were chatting about offline. The first one we want to start with is presets. You know, what do you think about them? Are they cool? Or are they not? I mean, you know, what is everybody's thoughts on that? Christian, I know you had some opinions about presets, so we'll, we'll kick it over to you to start off first. Um, I've definitely, I've definitely bought other photographers presets before several times, many times, actually. Um, I think it's this constant struggle of like, you see someone's work or you see the preset on other photos that aren't yours. And you're like, Oh, this could work, uh, for the kind of like look that I'm going for. Um, and so I think as I've progressed as a photographer, the less I've bought presets, because I think I'm starting to realize that no matter what preset I buy, I end up building my own anyway, like from scratch basically. So like I'll take ideas from a preset, but most of the time I won't even use the actual, um, you know, the actual uh, parameters from the preset. Sorry, I forgot the word. Um, so yeah, it's just something that it's, it's totally stylistic and I don't think that there's anything wrong with them on the consumer side. If it's something that you like and it's a look that you're going for. Um, I just personally have found that building your own preset, I think ends up looking more unique. Um, even if you build it off of someone else's preset, I guess. And I also think that technically they're some presets are really impressive, especially like the film emulating ones. Like it looks really close to what it should look like, you know, if you were shooting actual 35 millimeter 120 film. Um, I think Mastin Labs does a great job, uh, but other companies have done really, really great jobs and that I've seen, you know. I, you were looking at one, or you were showing us one, Mark, that was a, uh, like a Portrait 400 preset, right? Yeah, um, it's funny you mention that because I, I don't think I've ever purchased any. I may have, I, probably a few a while back. But what I was talking about last time was, um, you know, I, I shoot Fuji as well as Leica. So the Fujis uh, have a lot of customizations you can do in camera for their JPEG processing. So it was actually a recipe to emulate Portrait 400 right in camera with the JPEGs because you have, you know, tone curve control, um, you know, obviously white balance and, you know, uh, saturation, a number of other things within the camera. So there's a website called Fuji X Weekly, I think. And the guy who runs it, I forget his name now, he, you know, basically goes through and, you know, creates these, in the Fuji world, they call them recipes or simulations, right, for different film stocks. So um, there's, there's a couple of popular ones like the, you know, obviously Portrait 100. Uh, there's a Kodachrome 64 that he has. That was actually pretty good. I really like that one too. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, they're, so they're, wait, let me ask you, you got to use them in good light. I'll tell you that you, much though. Okay. But you have to, when you use them on the camera, you can like in the EVF, you can see that feminine yeah. emulation in yeah. your photo. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So you shoot, you know, you shoot it like, oh, you damn it. Like that. <laughs> We're going to, he's going to get a Fuji soon. Watch. <laughs> no. no, because my wife just simply won't let me buy any cameras. You, you could buy it from a store Disease in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that that's that's a 
again, it's, it's not a preset because it's really just settings you plug in. I mean, it's not, you know, there's not a lot of customization to it. Um, wow. But I really like it for the Fuji. So actually one of the fun things about shooting with Fuji is especially the X100, because, you know, they have all these film simulations as, as good bases that you can start with. And you just go wild tweaking that, you know, to your liking, right? Like, you know, I know Yanil loves classic Chrome, for instance, on the Fujis. I don't like the shadows being so dark. So I tend to like, you know, okay, pull out some of the shadows or brighten up the shadows a bit, add a little bit more saturation, but it still has the color profile of, of classic Chrome and what it does with like, uh, you know, reds and, and browns and even blues to some extent. So it's a lot of flexibility there. Um, so I, I really like the Fuji. Again, it's not a preset, but the closest thing on the Fuji. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got you. That's, that's pretty, it's pretty nifty. I like that. So I'd like to do that. I'd like to try it. For presets, I've never actually bought any, even though I do have all the Visco ones. Mm -hmm. But I never really got into them because I think the idea of having like the Visco or the Mass and Apps presets are cool if you pick one and you use that preset on every single photo you pretty much ever take or like an entire set. But I'll go through like 10 photos I take on one day and put 10 different presets on it. Like that's not the way film works. You're not going to shoot 10 different film stocks in one sitting, like in one outing. So yeah, I never really I liked agree. it. Cause it cause I agree. I agree to a certain extent. Like I want my, I think it's cool to have like a preset that you use for your images to have continuity. But if every single one is different from the previous one, you're just yeah. sitting there like an Instagram hitting presets, basically. It's, yeah, yeah, I think that consistency is absolutely important in your work. Um, and, and for like to put together a nice like profile of, you know, or maybe profile is not the word, but like a portfolio portfolio. Yeah. Um, there's a photographer that I follow that I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of. Um, her her username on Instagram is Kat in NYC. Uh, I think her name is Kat Erlin. She's a fashion portrait photographer. And dude, if you look at her Instagram, it's crazy because none of the photos are aesthetically alike in any way other than it's like they have something that you can tell it's hers. But, but in terms of editing and what you would think would be like a preset as a photographer, they look nothing alike. And it's kind of crazy because you're like, there's just no way that this and this have the same parameters. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I don't know. So that goes back to me saying like maybe creating your own, if even if it's just a base to work off of and then going from there, uh, you know, adjusting the parameters from there, maybe just like the HSL, um, obviously exposure and stuff, but I don't know. It, it's, it's a crazy world because I know a lot of people are making a lot of money doing this. Um, so as a photographer, it definitely makes you think business wise, like, is this something that I want to do? Do I want to build some presets on my own? And then people that like my work, uh, you know, can use it on, you can, I mean, I've seen photographers even make it into like a preset that you can install onto like Instagram stories so that yeah. you mm -hmm. have like presets on Instagram stories. Um, actually I saw Moneris did that. That's right. That's where I first saw that idea. And I was like, that is a genius idea. Like that's amazing. And she has 
she has awesome work in presets too. So, dude, it's really just a, a personal preference, I guess. It's. I'm okay with people using presets. Like, if you're starting off, especially buy presets, see what they do to your photos. Open it up, see what sliders moved around, see what changed, what does that photo look the way it looks. And until you learn how to actually edit your own photos, that's fine. Use those. And as you start learning, you could either modify that preset or build your own. I actually use pretty much the same preset for every single photo I take, whether it's street photography or even my travel stuff. I just tweak it. And I actually stole it from a photographer I really like called Ted Gushu. I use pixelpeeper.io. It's like a website that you put somebody's JPEG in and it strips out the metadata and it finds exactly what Lightroom settings this person used. So I did that. I took it. It looks amazing on cars, but it makes people look extremely orange. So I started desaturating and moving sliders around and I got the look I like. Then when I went to like the trip to like the Grand Canyon and Utah and all that stuff, it's the same exact preset that I use for my street photography. I just brought up the saturation a bit tweaked a little bit of clarity, moved a few sliders around, and it looks amazing for landscape mountain scenes. Okay. And so all my work, whether it's travel, street photography or whatnot, looks the same. Yeah. And it's based on and it's based on somebody else's preset, but it looks nothing like his photos. Of course. So, so now I mean, it's at my the preset. end of the day, like the content is what really matters here. Like the actual photo itself, the raw image. If that's not good, I mean, yeah, I'm not gonna you help can, <laughs> editing is incredible, man. You can do really incredible stuff and you can definitely save photos. Um, and of course, as a photographer, I've had to do it once or twice, but like you need to get the right image in camera with the right light um, exposed correctly. And then once you add your preset to that and you continue that flow of just like, you know, straight out of camera looks awesome. Preset looks awesome. Straight out of camera mm -hmm. looks awesome. Preset looks awesome. Because like yeah. you can play with presets all day long, but if you have shitty light and you're not taking a very interesting picture, no matter what preset you put on it, it's going to be whack. Yeah, definitely. I actually have the same um, Visco presets. I just realized it too. Um, I had the same problem, right? And, and even some Fuji presets I got a long time ago. I think actually that was the only ones I did for, for Fuji. I think about it. Um, I had exactly that same problem where it's like, all right, well, which of these do I use when? Because it was like a preset pack and there was tons of them. And I just, I never end up using them and never really end up liking a lot of them. And, you know, I never really put the time to tweak it because I never really found one that was, you know, okay, I really like this one across a lot of different photos. So for the Fuji stuff, other than the JPEG stuff, which is, you know, like I said, really easy to tweak. And then, you know, you still have the raw file because I shoot raw JPEG. Um, you know, for Fuji's, I actually have my own, right? I built, I, what I actually did was tweak a JPEG, you know, the, the built-in in-camera settings to produce an image that I liked and then basically just tweaked everything on a raw file to match up with as close as possible to that. So like right. I have one, for instance, when I'm shooting pictures of the kids, you know, I, I want to see a little bit less shadow and stuff like that. So I kind of bring up the shadows and, you know, flatten out a couple of things to kind of make it look, look a little softer. So I have a preset that I built completely from scratch but based on something I actually already did in camera. So in the Fujis, that's kind of how I shoot. And like I said, the, the color profiles in the Fujis are, are great kind of out of the box with slight tweaking. Um, but when I shoot Leica stuff, I actually do use mostly, at least what I found myself using mostly is um, 
the Visco uh, Portra 400 preset. Um, actually, this, the I guess it's a uh, the, the minus one, one. Or Leica. Yeah, yeah. There's one specifically for Leica, and I think they have like a you know minus one plus one, which I guess is you know uh, push to pull, like you know simulation or whatever. So I actually get the same thing. I I don't like too much crunchy shadows, so I tend to use the the pulled one or minus one, and that's I realize I've been using that or some of the variation of Portrait 400, like almost exclusively on life and stuff I've been posting, particularly recently. And I just like the look it has, you know, yeah. and, and I don't know that it looks exactly like Portrait, but it just, it has a look. And again, I tweak from there a little bit, but I start with that as a base. So that's what I've been using mostly. It's funny, just last week I thought about it. I was like, man, I have all these presets and I'm scrolling through all of them to get to the one that I want. I was like, I really should just trash the rest because I don't really intend or want to I use did them. that. I did yeah, that. So. Um, just because it wasn't like Lightroom doesn't have a very good way of organizing presets. It's just yeah. like user presets and then everything. And you're just like, ah, oh, dude, yeah. like I have mine so, in folders, but it's again, it's like, you know, if I open the Visco yeah, folders, you have like a million folders. There, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I so, just put dot dot in front of the one I always use. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, I, that's an easy have, way to do it, yeah. I think a maximum of 10 presets in my actual list. You can now uncheck the ones that you don't want to see. So yeah. I just did that. Like they're still there if I want yeah. them there, but I don't have to like look at them all the time. Yeah. It's Since cool I do most of my editing on my phone and your the phone doesn't actually have lens corrections built in. I actually have the same exact preset that I use for all my photos, but I have for each camera I own. So when I'm editing on my phone, I could click that preset and it puts in the lens corrections because it'll be baked into the preset, but you can't nice. actually do it on Lightroom Mobile. You can select the corrections. Yeah. So it'll tweak the image and straighten all the lines and everything just by hitting the preset. That's nice. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I had, funny enough, um, what I actually do is because the Fuji's I think have like built in correction profiles already, but the, the Leica lenses I use, I actually have a separate subsection for lens corrections. So I actually do it as a second step where, you know, if I shoot one set and I, I'm using, let's say 35 Ultron, I have that profile applied on import. If I do it on a desktop, if it's on the, you know, mobile, then I apply it after the fact, and which is an extra step, I guess. Um, but that's because, again, I have multiple lenses to choose from. If I had a single lens or I shot primarily, primarily with ones, I'd probably consider doing that. But I think the per camera one is pretty cool. I, that's actually something I'd like to do is, you know, I have looks on the Leica that I like or for, you know, presets for Leica that I like, and I have some on the Fuji. I would love to narrow down like maybe three of them, maybe like a handful of color and like maybe a black and white one that makes it consistent no matter which one I'm shooting. So, you know, to your point, you know, where you have like one for a Leica, one for the Ricoh GR, whatever it is, but it, it the end result looks very similar. Like, you know, colors look similar and everything. So it doesn't matter what you're shooting with, your output is the same and it's just a matter of, you know, the tool you use at the time. So I'd love to do that at some point. So like, I, I see what you're saying and I have the same situation. For example, when I edit weddings, I, I have a second shooter who shoots like, 99% of my weddings with me um he uses canon so I for a while was like struggling in terms of like consistency is like this picture has to look like this picture because sometimes we'll be in the same room shooting like the same thing just from different angles and then it's like back-to-back -back pictures and then like this one looks weird and this one looks different and like and essentially out of just kind of acceptance I guess like I just kind of gave up I was like dude <laughs> I'm never 
going to get a Canon file to look like a Leica file and vice versa. So I just put this, I use the same preset for everything. And realistically, like, I mean, clients don't notice those things. Like that's just not something like, I mean, I'm also a little bit crazy when it comes to consistency. Like I can edit a gallery forever. And if it was shot in the same room, if it's not like perfectly to the, to the temperature measurement of like where it's supposed to be, then like it bothers me. So it's, I've just had to like work on myself as a person <laughs> to like <laughs> accept that this is never going to be perfect. Like there's just no doing it. And, and if you can do it, then it's just going to take absolutely forever. White balance. Yeah. I shot a uh, baptism for like a family friend at uh, Jesu, this church in downtown. And it had so many different light sources and light kept on changing. I spent so much time getting all the white, all the white balance exactly the same on every single photo. I'm like, this is the worst thing I've ever done in my life. (laughs) Yeah. Well, welcome to our world. That's what we do. Like even after my wife does a primary edit, when I get into the edit, like I, like, again, I'm just such a perfectionist that I just go in and like the main thing she gets, she gets the edit down pretty tight like but the main thing that she has trouble with and i have trouble with and i think probably everybody has trouble with if you're trying to be a perfectionist is freaking white balance and like during weddings like i don't i just don't have time to sit there and like great card white balance every room sometimes i'm bursting into the church and i got the bride right behind (laughs) me that's gonna walk in and like I'm not going to be like, everybody, hold on. I need to white balance the room real quick. Like, I can't do that. So, uh, yeah, man, white balance sucks. And having a preset at least so that your HSL is, like, set to a certain way that you're always going to do that. Like, your orange is always at negative 20 or negative 10 saturation. I shoot a lot of Hispanics. Hispanic uh, skin tones are really, really orange. They tend to be orange. Um, So I that's like my main demographic. So I just throw that slider down, man. Like that thing's gonna, I don't want people looking like Cheetos out here. <laughs> yeah. I struggle with that too. I mean, I think that that's probably the more, one of the more challenging things to get right as far as even presets or anything like that is that, you know, some things like in some lights, even skin tones tend to just shift to weird colors. Like there's um this Fuji setting that I used to use. And I literally used to, say it's for my kids because in like good sunlight like or good light in general like they look perfect right I mean it's the perfect colors the colors are like you know fun but soft and kind of you know it kind of seems um I don't know if I'm gonna call it childish but you know again fun right it's a fun bright image but like if the light's not perfect (laughs) my son looks a little like yellow like super yellow like it, it's, yeah. it's, it's not even bad. It's like an orangey yellow tone. And it's like, yeah, it's not well, natural. Dude, you know, imagine, it's just a light too. Yeah. Like uh, at a wedding for again, for example, just cause like it's the easiest example. Um, I have like bridesmaids and sometimes I have a lot of bridesmaids. So there's be like nine women lined up who all have different skin tones and like, whose do you go off of? Like, what's it supposed to look like? Like, and it just no one ever looks like they do when you're looking at them with your human eyes. Like it's just mm-hmm. cameras can't do that yet, unfortunately. Yeah. You know what it actually reminds me of when I first um, was shooting Sony stuff. Like 
that used to take so much work to edit a Sony file, at least back on the A7 II, Garbage, to get Garbage. any kind of color right. Like it just, it just, the colors just never really like, I don't know, man. You had to like just push saturation on it to like make it seem like not lifeless. I mean, apparently they've gotten better, but that that was just one thing that that's, I think that's probably where I got my preset, um, you know, habit from, right? Because like, I just, you, you almost just had to, because I'm like, this is just too much work to just, continually find and tweak something yeah. and it just yeah i remember just hating that you know after a while but i mean i heavily heavily invested in sony two two and a half years ago three years ago maybe and instantly regretted it and sold everything like not even i don't even think i lasted six months it was horrible Jesus. yeah Man. yeah it was a bad move so like obviously switching over to leica was took a lot longer and a lot more thought went into it like okay i'm not doing this again so <laughs> i just went little by little um and then every preset that i would put on the Leica stuff would look amazing like literally everyone ones that i bought ones that i built all the different black and whites and blah 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 at the end of the day the trueness to color was it was there as much as you know i think i personally think that modern leicas like the sl2 with my 50 summicron of course it has a lens profile, but the trueness to color is definitely better than, for example, like my M10 and my 35 Summicron that came out a few years ago, you know? So I think, I think technology is getting better. Everybody talks about like the color science and all that. I never noticed it. All my photos from every single camera looks exactly the same. And it's probably because I actually desaturate almost everything because shooting a little Havana, there's so much color. That if you don't desaturate it, it just looks like a pinata, a like lot. exploded somewhere. Yeah. So I just uh. desaturate everything and you don't notice it. But it also gets every single camera looks about the same because it, the colors don't really matter that much. It just has some color. I thought you were yeah. going to say it's because you're colorblind. <laughs> I, I might be. I, I, it's definitely about, every now and then I think about that. I'm like, am I? Am I like missing something here? Like, why do I see the colors the same way everybody else does? <laughs> like, you're talk about color science. I'm like, you guys are making this word up. There's no just thing as color science. All these cameras look exactly the same. Well, dude, that's that's the other thing that you have to take into consideration with presets too. Like, not just personal style, right? But like, factually, how people see color. Like, I I cannot imagine that humans. Every single human looks at a color and sees exactly the same color that everyone else does. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, yeah. well, not even no, that. Like, everybody's slight variation. Like everybody's yeah. monitor is completely different from the other monitors. Oh my God. Like, that's a, everybody. that's something that's a whole other thing. That's yeah. a whole other conversation. Like, but I like, which goes back that. to me, you know, me not trying <laughs> to like, like make everything perfect. I have like my MacBook monitor. I have my other monitor that I use some cheap, like Acer thing. Your and phone. then I print and I have everything calibrated, I think. But even when I don't calibrate it, I print and I'm like, yeah, this looks the same. And like, I tweak something here, but this next print looks the same too. I can't really tell. Like, everything looks fine to me. Like, nothing's wrong. Yeah. I, 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 wish, I wish I had your eyes, Yanni. I, <laughs> I see every minute little change in like color tone. And like, I see if I, you could put two photos next to each other and they could be like, the primary colors, I'll be like, no, this one's different. <laughs> like, I'll see something. That's why you're yeah. the pro and I'm just this guy. <laughs> no. Just the guy. That does not make me a pro. That makes me a freaking psycho. <laughs> like, yeah, man. Color yeah, science. Yeah. Baloney. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, well, it, I, how do I put it? 
I think the term gets thrown around a lot and I think it's a little overblown thing, but you know, they are, I guess there is a color science to certain things. So, I mean, going back to classic Chrome, like you can absolutely tell in like the reds, the orange, like the earthy type tones and even the blues, like we'll take a picture yeah, that's, of like, that's okay. different. That's like a JPEG being outputted. The raw files are all bland, desaturated negatives. So like I they don't... should be, but some are definitely worse than others. Trust oh me. my god! I mean, yeah. that dude, well, that's I, why. I, you know, so another thing you would talk about about uh, one of the um, variables in the whole thing is it's probably easy to assume that most people are using Lightroom, but a lot of people use like Capture One, and like apparently that's like what you should be using if you shoot Fuji because it does like the best justice towards like the raw files and and you know whatever combination of both sharpening and color or something like that so you know have you ever used it i tried and i looked at it once and i was like nope going back to lightroom yeah, exactly i'm like <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll keep my muddled foliage or whatever i don't give a crap like yeah i am not using this i'm going to use lightroom which i could use in two seconds and you get yeah. the colors just right it has like all these cool little features like dehaze that lightroom has, does not have. I, I i i will say lightroom has made leaps and bounds in the last like year or two they've really mm-hmm. added some features that i'm like okay yeah. this is good like because th- yeah. there's a, definitely a little bit there that i was like should i make a switch to capture one like my main thing obviously was organization but i guess once you switch over to something like it is what it is you just have to have like make a new workflow for it but I do, I do feel like I've seen color tests and stuff like of Capture One versus Lightroom and Capture One is definitely better, like a hundred percent in terms of like color rendition and like, and dealing with like certain raw images, but Lightroom just, I'm just so quick with it and they've added so many great features that I just stick to it. And, and now mm-hmm. I have, you know, obviously I have all my presets on there too. Yeah. My biggest thing, which keeps me in Lightroom and, you know, beyond just the interface difference, because I can't learn any, any piece of software, is honestly the cloud um, syncing and then being able to edit like on mobile. Like, you know, like I, I'm not a professional, so like this is, you know, hobby stuff. So a lot of times I'm not sitting in front, I don't have dedicated time to sit in front of the computer and edit. I typically, you know, import onto my my, uh, my desktop because it, you know, gets backed up a couple of places. So I just typically have that as like my entry point. But I'll literally grab my phone or iPad and try to edit somewhere else, right? Every now and then I'll sit back and try to organize old stuff. But, you know, for the most part, like editing on the iPad or my phone or, you know, something, especially because, again, nowadays, you know, everybody's sharing Instagram, right? I don't have a portfolio and a website to kind of worry about. Um, you know, if, you, if anybody wanted to print, like, you know, go check out my Instagram. Sure, I, can, I have, you know, the files to print that stuff. But um, if you so have me, Lightroom, it gives you a free portfolio website, too. That too, right? That too, yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's not like that yeah. is an option. So, but I, that for me, that's really what it is. This is the cloud syncing because, you know, it's just easy to edit stuff on the go and, you know, or not sit in front of a computer all the time, which was the bigger problem I had. Actually, because of that, I, I was able to save a bunch of money on my car insurance, but anyway, sorry, save a bunch of money on not buying uh, a MacBook Pro back a couple of years ago because my old job actually gave me one. Um, and I was like, well, do I, you know, use their MacBook Pro or, you know, build my own PC since I already have a work laptop and whatever. So I ended up saving a bunch of money and, you know, bought this, built this pretty powerful PC that I still use today because I'm not now tethered to a laptop or need to use a laptop to edit or do my personal stuff, right? I can do it all on the iPad or my phone or whatever. I so. don't, I don't like editing on a laptop. Um, 
I prefer to edit on my 27 inch iMac. Um, yeah. Just because I like to see my photos nice and big. And it really does help like to see them more so in like not not the develop module but when i'm looking at them in grid is where like if you're on a laptop you're looking at almost like tiny little thumbnails where it's like if you're on the 27 inch in grid mode in the grid module i'm saying like you're looking at a, a sizable image that you can compare to the others you know yeah yeah i, I do sometimes but again you know personally because my main medium at least these days are is instagram and you know i guess prints for myself and so on mm -hmm. like it's easier i actually like editing on my phone or ipad because you kind of see what it's going to look like there and i think editing for print versus editing on you know for again instagram which is you know small tiny thing or even a browser or a site or something like that is a different you know you can get away with different editing right i mean we talked about me and you know talked about this in the past about like cropping like i'm i struggle with like is it kind of, uh, is it acceptable to crop so much or whatever? But in the end, it's like being displayed on a, you know, tiny phone screen. So who cares if that's what it, you know, what comes of the image, you know? Also, so when somebody like um, message, when somebody like messages me, can you, uh, oh, can you send me a printer? There's something like, no. <laughs> the reason is it's 1.2 megapixels. <laughs> Because I, <laughs> I cropped it down to this big to get this image. I can't sell your print. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, I don't do a lot of cropping almost ever, actually. Um, the only cropping I do is when I'm shooting with my Q or Q2 and I put it on the 35 millimeter frame lines instead of the 28, but that's already cropping in camera. So it's like, it's, yeah. I don't Plus, you have, cropping. I'm, you I'm technically cropping the raw right? file. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Um, but, but yeah, man, I cropping for me, it's like, I almost never crop, dude. I try not to at least. Not because I think it's wrong. I just, it's less work for me. Because yeah. if I had to crop every image I took, like I would never finish. Yeah. The thing is I shoot like 28, 24 millimeters for everything. And the chances that something cool is happening this far away from me is near zero. So it's always something happening like 20 feet away. I got the photo of it, but now there's 5,000 other things happening around this thing. Yeah. So I always have to crop down to actually get a decent, like a composition, not exposure, of <laughs> the image. Yeah. Well, that happens to me sometimes too. Yeah, where... is get closer. Yeah. Yeah, but like by the time I run there, because I'm a little bit fat, <laughs> like by the time I get there, the thing is, the thing is the done. The gone, yeah. 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 For me sometimes, especially shooting like from the hip, like I find like, you know, I, I'm not the best at keeping the camera completely straight where you know i'm trying mm. to like be stealthy so like I, I think we talked about it before i have a shot where um it's three people in the frame and like i was kind of walking alongside them so i just kind of had the camera to the side and you know i'm sure the camera was like if this is where it's supposed to be it was like this so i had to crop it to straighten up it was exactly what i was going for and the funny thing is the crop actually worked out better because they if you look at the full frame or what i maybe would have captured if it was upright would have captured more of the people but in the end, and I'll bring up the picture in a second, in the end, it kind of cut off the people left and right and, you know, focused on this one guy who was the only person sitting. The other person, two people were kind of lying down or something. And it kind of made the, made the picture look a bit better, at least to me, because it had this guy with sunglasses in the middle. So I don't know, sometimes it works out. I mean, you know, again, I think as long as you're not trying to make, you know, something out of nothing, like saying, oh, well, I really intended to shoot something else, but let me crop this other piece of the, the, the photo here. 
uh, then, you know, it's a little bit more genuine that way, you know, because I think, especially shooting street where things are spontaneous, you don't, you know, necessarily have all the time in the world to react or again, things could be happening a little far away from you as long as it's presentable and, you know, being your intentions are right. I think it's fine. I mean, I think like the best is when I get two photos out of one photo. <laughs> that's a cropping. That's, that's <laughs> there you go. I can't, I can't shoot like that though. Like I just, I don't know. I think being primarily like I started as an event photographer. So I always was like right up on people and, and then my street work, like I try not to get in pe- people's like personal space. Like I'm not going to stick a camera like directly in your face like Bruce Weber did, but I definitely get close to people and I definitely shoot people from as close that I'm not like within arm's reach, but maybe right there, like arm's reach and you're directly in front of me. Yeah. I don't care. Like I shot, I've shot some fashion stuff. I did some fashion stuff in New York. And like, it was a fashion event kind of situation. And I just shot it in people's faces. And like, some of them kind of look at you bad and like, (laughs) or who the hell is this guy taking a picture of me or whatever. But like, dude, the the photo is just that much better. And like, I don't feel that, I guess that I don't feel the need to crop because it's like, what are you going to crop? You're already, you're already so like in there, you know? Right. And at a wedding, the actual, the entire event is the point. And you're also nowhere to position yourself. So you don't need to crop, but like any, if there's people like in the background, those people are at the same wedding. It's not like a random person just walking through your scene. Right. Right. Exactly. I mean, I, I, uh, at least I hope I've gotten much better in terms of composition too at weddings and I shoot it as I'm shooting street now. Like, and that was something that is a conversation for another day. But essentially, there was a flip, uh, a switch that flipped in my head, like that I just started seeing differently, you know. So if you guys can see, this is the photo I was talking about. And I actually just want to share it to show how much the cropping was. So here's the original photo. <laughs> what is happening, right? So cut off this person, kind of cut off this this person to the left, okay. the two people to the left. But you know, in the end, the kind of focus on this was, you know, kind of this person lying down is looking up and it actually brought the focus more into what she was doing than the rest of her body. And, you know, this guy, I don't think it made a big difference in the cut off his arm here because this guy in the middle was just kind of looking dead at me um, as yeah. I was walking by. But, you know, again, to show you, cause this is exactly the scene I wanted to get. Right. But, you know, clearly you can see how it <laughs> tilted the camera a bit. So can you reset really? that for a second? Yeah. I just want to see what it looks like. Yeah. Here it is. Yeah. I don't, I don't hate that picture like that, dude. Like I know it's kind of crazy, but like, yeah, I don't hate it like that. That Dutch angle is a little too intense. Yeah, yeah, it's a, that's Dutch the thing. Angle. It's a little too much for me. So, <laughs> um, so guys, uh, let's wrap up. But I definitely want everyone to like and subscribe, please. We're still building this channel, so that'll help us a lot. And um, if you have any thoughts on what we spoke about, any questions, let us know. Uh, leave it in the comments below if you're on YouTube, obviously. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Take oh, care, guys. One, one, one last thing. I'm going to the Keys this weekend. Um, probably might shoot film. I don't know. So might have something interesting to talk about next week because this is I, the first time I'll be shooting outside of my house and my kids and so on. So We've got a few things for next week that I already got in mind. <laughs> awesome. Cool. All, All right, right, guys. Thanks. Bye. Later.